As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. The airlines, every day, they're announcing more and more flights. Travelers returning to the skies. There are noticeably more people here at Mitchell International compared to one year ago. What you should know before flying this summer. Plus, COVID-19 test results in 15 minutes at home. This is the part where we actually swap. Is that in far enough? Yes. Medical experts weigh in on the newly available test. From the Fox 6 Studios, this is Open Record. I'm Brian Polson here with Jenna Sachs. Amanda St. Hilaire. Had a baby on Monday. Jenna, we have that that's probably where we should start, huh? We should. Congratulations to Amanda. I actually saw her husband yesterday at daycare pickup with their older daughter, and they seem very happy and it sounds like the baby's doing well. And a little sister hasn't met her big sister yet. So big sister's in for some life changes. She doesn't quite know what happened yet. She's only two. But I think uh, those girls are going to be lucky to grow up together in so close an age. I have no idea what this is like, but you and Amanda now both share something uh, that probably very few moms share, which is what it's like to go out and confront people for a news story when you're nearly nine months pregnant or fully nine months pregnant. She just did that for her uh, you know, school series that she was working on. I know you've done that and, and of course, ended up in promos <laughs> on the air for a really long time doing it. But um, it, it just... It, to to be going through that as it is just going through the late stages of pregnancy, but then still to be doing this kind of work, um, that, that's an awful lot. You know, it's interesting. I was pregnant with my first when I was still covering breaking news on a regular basis. And it almost filled me with like a sense of power or like I felt more confident in myself when I was pregnant, maybe because people were more likely to talk to me, but I just felt more confident in general when I was pregnant. Um, and I just, I felt like, I was kind of invincible in a way, which isn't true, but I, I, I got into a lot of hairy situations when covering breaking news. And uh, I'm, I, I, maybe one day I'll tell my daughter about some of the things that she did with me, all the crime scenes that she stood at. But in the winter, she kept me warm at some of those crime scenes that well, I was covering. You know, it's funny because with Amanda, you say that sort of it empowered you in a way. I know when she was uh, trying to talk to superintendents about their uh, school and learning loss data uh, for this recent series, as she approached some like after meetings, those who had not agreed to sit down and do interviews, it, she did say, you know, it's sort of hard for someone to walk away and ignore me when they see I'm out there late at night and I'm nine months pregnant. It's hard to argue, hey, it's late and I'm too tired. I mean, look at, you know, what, what you're doing. So there was sort of that sense for her that in a way it was sort of like, you know, that, that uh, free card to say, come on, look at what I'm doing. You can stop and talk to me for a few minutes. You know, we do something in news called MOS, which is the man on the street interview. And I never had more success 
with man on the street interviews than when I was pregnant with twins. Everybody stopped because they probably felt a little bad for me. No one and wants I, to say I no to the pregnant I had a high lady. success rate. <laughs> yeah. People were very kind to me when I was pregnant with those twins. They made time for me. Uh, well, uh, for anyone who has never done anything like this line of work, um, man on the street interviews are sometimes... We do it because, you know, it's an easy way to just go sort of gauge public opinion on something. But um, I think we all hate doing them just because the a idea little, that yeah. you're approaching all kinds of people who they've got other stuff going on on their day and they really weren't wanting this. Now, some people are excited, like, oh, the news, sure, I'll talk. But you get an awful lot of rejection. There's a reason I'm not in sales. I, 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 <laughs> I admire our salespeople because or anyone who's in the sales business because you've got to be willing to accept a lot of rejection to, to have success. And, and I guess that was not something I was built for. Well, if you're asking about the Green Bay Packers, they're pretty much always going to say yes. And they have That's an a given. That's true. Right. <laughs> well, let's, let's get to talking about what you've been working on, because as and I didn't introduce, we often introduce that Jenna Sachs, obviously, with Contact 6, and, and, and w you've done this enough now that anyone who's listened to the podcast knows, ought to sure know what Contact 6 is and does. But before we get into these stories, just a quick recap of, of what Contact 6 is and what you do. Sure. Well, Contact 6 is Fox 6's longstanding consumer segment. We have a procedure off air where people can file complaints with us about area businesses, and we try Try to help them resolve them either off air which is what happens most of the time or sometimes in on-air reports we've actually started running monthly stories where we tell people about some of the resolutions we had behind the scenes and it might be as simple as getting a furniture company to replace uh, an ottoman that arrived damaged or helping someone get a refund on a flight that was canceled so we we do all sorts of things behind the scenes we're trying to help people out uh, but at the same time you know we are trying very much to be fair to everybody involved to the the person who filed the complaint and the business and it's it's no shortage of story options that are coming our way every day we're getting new complaint forms coming in and there's a wealth of of consumer issues in Milwaukee that we're, we're dealing with but it's rewarding work we have a good team and uh, I invite anybody who's having an issue to reach out to us and see if we might be able to make a difference and it's not always individual complaints you're dealing with a lot of times you're talking about issues that affect consumers broadly and that really is, is reflected in the stories we're going to talk about today first of which is one that I think a lot of people are thinking about now as we're getting into springtime, summer is coming, the, the pandemic is waning, we cross our fingers that we're nearing the end, uh, and so people are talking about having the travel bug, but that raises a lot of questions. Uh, first of all, are we already starting to see an uptick in travel? Are people already becoming more active in, in you know, flying and in going to destinations more, even though we're still sort of seeing some of the numbers hang around? Yes, definitely. We went to Mitchell International last week for this story, and everyone who works there says we see a noticeable difference. There are more people here. There's more foot traffic. So people are traveling in higher numbers than one year ago. That said, there's still not as many people traveling as two years ago, so we have to keep that in context. I actually pulled the numbers for TSA checkpoints for May 3rd um, in preparation for this podcast, and it showed that the number of people going through TSA on May 3rd was up 274% over 2020. 
which is a huge increase, but it's down 41% compared to 2019. So yes, it's going up, but still we're not expected to get to pre-pandemic travel levels until 2023 or later. And who knows what we can expect from business travel, if that's ever gonna return to what it was, that's a whole other area. But overall domestic travel is down about 40% compared to pre-pandemic and international travel is down 60%. But positive signs, the trend is upward. For those who want to travel, obviously one of the big questions on people's minds is what does vaccination mean? Do I need to be vaccinated? Will I have to prove I've been vaccinated? Is that just for international travel? What are you finding out about those questions? Well, people should always check what the latest information is because this is evolving a bit. But in general, to travel internationally, you should be prepared to present a negative COVID-19 test result or proof of vaccination. A lot of countries are requiring it. The U.S. requires it to come into our country. But if you're going to be traveling domestically, the only country, or I'm sorry, the only state that you need to have a negative COVID-19 test result for is Hawaii. So if you're going to be traveling domestically, you don't need it right now. But again, that could change depending on what individual states are experiencing. But uh, again, international travel pretty much count on having to show a negative COVID-19 test result. Do you know if that affects any of the territories like the U.S. Virgin Islands, Guam, other places like that? Or is Hawaii the only place we know of that, that has that requirement? Uh, I spoke with a travel agent for this story, and he told me that Hawaii was the lone exception uh, in the U.S., but I'm not 100% sure about Guam and those territories. Obviously, though, if you're flying to Vegas, you're going to California, you're going to Florida, you don't need that negative test to get on an airplane right now. You do not. No, not at this point. But again, I would encourage people to always check in and see what the latest information is. Um, because, you know, the predictions for this summer are more planes in the air, more passengers on planes. So people are interested in traveling. So who knows what's going to happen in the future. But right now, people are wanting to get on planes. They're wanting to take those vacations that they haven't been able to take. And they seem more comfortable doing so. And it's just something we're going to have to keep an eye on. Now, we know that there were more flights that were cut last year because of the loss of, of passenger service and, and loss of people, uh, I should say passengers flying, and, and obviously the concerns about the spread of COVID-19. Are, are the number of flights still down? In other words, if more people want to travel and there's fewer flights, are there going to be more packed airplanes or are we starting to see the number of flights increase? We are seeing the number of flights increase. Mitchell International within the last few months has added a number of flights to Florida because the demand is there to go to Florida. Uh, they've added some flights to Arizona and other airports are doing the same. They're adding a lot more domestic flights. There are going to be more options for people, but again, that doesn't mean fares are going to remain low. These are in-demand locations, so the fares are probably going to be higher than they were. The days of those pandemic cheap flights, those are, those are gone for a lot of domestic locations unless it's not a very in-demand one but yes we're seeing a lot more flights being added every day but they are mostly again to those fun and sun locations as they're called in the industry those are the places people really just want to go and relax after this pandemic and all this time we've all spent in our homes 
I know that I, I don't fly very often. I haven't flown since before the pandemic. So I'm going to ask a question on behalf of a lot of other people like me who don't fly very often and don't know this. But I know if you get on public transit or if you get you go to a restaurant, seats are marked off. You can't sit here. You can only sit here and they're spacing people apart. Are airlines doing that? And will they continue to do that? Can they afford to continue to do that on airplanes? I was told that Delta was the only airline that was marking off the middle seat. But as of May 1st, they said they would no longer do that. So it does not appear that is the case in air in uh, airplanes at this point. At airports, just airports, you'll see little stickers on chairs reminding people of the distance to sit apart. But I don't really think it's being enforced um, to any extent. But there are markers on the floor at the airport to keep people in line. Your TSA line might seem longer, but it's actually not because people are more spread out. Uh, but no, I don't believe on airplanes at this point they're going to be marking off seats anymore, at least not on Delta, which I believe was the only one that was doing it. The average number of people on planes right now is about 88. And that's down from before the pandemic hit, which was like 99. But it's much higher than, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic when we were seeing those pictures of planes with like less than a dozen people on them. Obviously, we have a lot more people now who are fully vaccinated, who may be feeling uh, a little more uh, comfortable with going, uh, you know, on a plane and, and riding in a fuselage with a lot of other people um, in close quarters for a long period of time. But for those who are still sort of on the fence, they're uncertain. Are there other safety measures in place to try to minimize the risks as you fly? So there's definitely still the mask requirements in the airports and on the planes. I spoke with a woman who just got off of a flight to Milwaukee and she said she was surprised that she was even told to pull her mask back up into in between bites of food. So even when she was eating, she had to pull the mask back up while she was chewing, um, which she was a little surprised by. But a lot of studies have been done and air, airlines will frequently point to them saying our ventilation systems are good. Air, airplanes in general are not causing a lot of spread uh, and there's stringent cleaning going on, a lot of cleaning going on at airports and on airplanes. But those policies I don't think are going to be loosened anytime soon. And airlines will point to those studies over and over again saying, look, this shows that it's safe here to fly. We've got really good ventilation systems. And uh, as long as people are following those mask policies, they feel like people should be safe on their planes. One more question on this subject, because I think when it comes to air travel for a lot of people, Aside from the safety issues, even aside from COVID-19 altogether, one of the things that will drive whether you hop on a plane is, can I afford this? How, what are, what are you know, airfares looking like? And with the, all of the loss of demand last year and things coming back, is that affecting airfare? Are, 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 are prices going up or, or what are we seeing? I would say to the places people want to travel to, airfare is up. And that's the fun and sun locations I mentioned before. It's Mexico, it's Florida, Jamaica, places that people want to go to relax, to go to those resorts. And those are uh, those are the places where the fares are high. If you want to go to Europe, for example, you could get a pretty good fare right now because not a lot of travelers are interested in going to Europe if they can't have that full experience if places might be shut down or only allowing a limited number of people in. So it depends very much on where you want to go. Um, but again, there's a, a, a an app called called Hopper that tracks um, interest in tickets and ticket prices. And they say they're expecting prices to go up another 12% for um, in-demand locations going into the summer. So I think you should expect to pay more than you would have beforehand uh, because airlines are reacting to demand. And if people want to go to these places, it's going to be reflected in the fares. We talked about 
the need for international destinations, either a, a, a vaccination card or evidence of vaccination or a negative test. Now, you can't just use a home test to do this, but you have reported on the fact that there are now, in fact, home COVID-19 tests. If you just want to know where you stand, maybe you're going to have a family gathering, something like that. Tell me a little bit more about this. How accessible are these? How reliable are they? Um, what can you tell us about home COVID-19 tests? So this is really interesting, and there seems to be a lot of people who are wondering about these tests. A couple of weeks ago, Abbott Laboratories sent something called the Binax Now self-test to stores like Walgreens, CVS, and Walmart. It costs $23.99, and it is a rapid test that you can do at home. Now, a lot of people are probably already familiar with this test because it's the same test that's been in use in a lot of schools, uh, on a lot of college campuses, and in a lot of businesses for either rapid results or, or a monitoring program. So if you go to one of those UW system testing sites, like the one at UW-Milwaukee, you may have already received the Binax Now uh, rapid antigen test. So uh, this is a test that's been accessible for some time now, but not as an individual doing it yourself, not in your home. So now that's the difference. You can do it at home. It's very easy to do. You will get results in just 15 minutes, but it's important to know how to interpret those results. So if you get a positive, you should call your doctor right away. If you get a negative, that just means you're negative at this point in time. And again, antigen tests aren't as accurate as the PCR tests, which are sent to the lab. So if you get a negative test result, the Binax Now test actually includes two test cartridges in each package. And the idea is that you test again three days later to give you more confidence in that negative result. Because if you were exposed to someone and you test negative with this Binax Now test, or you have symptoms and you test negative, you should follow up with a second test, either you know, at home or with the doctor, because that's something that could evolve and could change. So you can't take one of these at-home tests and because of that sort of reliability question you're talking about with the negative result, you couldn't take that to the airport and say, here's proof of my, uh, of me being negative for COVID-19, right? No, this is something that's mostly for your own knowledge. If you want to be monitoring yourself at home, if you would rather not go to a doctor or you have a transportation issue or an access issue with a doctor or a test site, you just can't get to one or you'd rather stay at home, this is a good option. Or if you're going to a family event, for example, this is the uh, example Abbott pointed to when I talked to them. If you want to get together with some relatives, you could all do this testing in advance to make sure that you're safe to get together. So there's some places where they think this could be very useful, but it's not going to be that official result that you can hand to the airline before you get on a flight. Now you talked to, obviously, I imagine the company about this test. Did you consult with anyone else about what to make of these tests or, or their results? I consulted with a lot of people. Uh, we've met so many different resources during this pandemic, so I, I took advantage of all of them. I went to a pharmacist, um, the, the gentleman who owns uh, Hyatt Pharmacies. I spoke with a, a doctor at UW Health, and I spoke with Accelerated Clinical Labs, which processes test results and has extensive experience with the Binax Now test. And across the board, they were saying this is just another tool in the coronavirus toolkit. They think it's a good thing that it's making access easier. And across the board, they seem to think it was a positive option for people. I expected some criticism of it, and I didn't really find it except the normal warning that, you know, you should follow up that negative test result with a second test to make sure you have more confidence in the result. They thought that this would 
help fight coronavirus and slow the spread, and they thought that was a good thing. And they also think this is a pretty easy test to do. I know whenever you open instructions for a new test, you can they can look kind of overwhelming, but this is actually a really easy test to do. You just swab both nostrils, you stick the Q-tip into a cartridge, you add some liquid and twist it around, and then you look for one line for negative or two lines for positive. It's, it's very easy and there are YouTube videos you can watch if you're someone who learns by watching rather than reading. And I, I, thought, I found it very easy to do. It's not as though I think most people are going to buy enough of these at 24 bucks a pop to be able to test themselves every day, but it sounds like it's really oriented toward maybe an event or something or a specific, because we're going to see a lot more of those now as spring and summer are getting here. People are having backyard fires or they're having graduation parties or, or other things where you may say, you know, before I go, I want to know. Um, maybe I've had a little bit of a, a mild cough. Is this COVID? Is this something else? That may be a situation where before you attend that event or before you have someone over to your home uh, to visit who may be vulnerable, you may want to know or show them, demonstrate for them that, that you've taken a test and it's come up negative. Right. I think a lot of people can relate to this right now where you have a cold or maybe it's allergies and you think, oh, is this minor or do I need to actually get tested for this? Do I have to go through all that trouble of getting in the car and going to the appointment or tracking down who's doing testing right now um, or trying to get into my doctor? It just is more appealing, I think, to some people rather than having to, to go to their doctor and do another official test. Or maybe you just want to have one available in case something happens on the weekend or, you know, just just for convenience sake. Um, it, it seems like it's more widely available now. I don't think it's too challenging to find at the stores at this point in time. Uh, Jenna, allergies, I'm telling you, they, they <laughs> last week especially, they were atrocious for me. And I think for a lot of people, pollen was so high. Uh, but would you go to, I mean, I think we can all identify with this now. You go to a store, the grocery store or somewhere else and allergies attack and you're wearing your mask and whatever and you sneeze. And that You're just the sense of the eyes upon you when that happens. And then even when you say, oh, yeah, allergies are terrible, you know, everybody else is going, yeah, right. So uh, no one wants to sneeze in public anymore. And maybe that's a good thing. Do you think back to pre-pandemic, which wasn't that long ago, when people would just openly cough and sneeze in public and, and no one thought twice about it in an elevator? And, and, and now we're obviously very sensitive to that. You know, it's interesting. I feel like I've never been healthier and my kids have never been healthier but at the same time i've never been more aware of every little symptom i'm having you know every little thing gets overanalyzed, and you know the good thing is my kids have been exposed to a lot less because you know they're wearing masks at school and their daycare teachers are being really careful about cleaning everything so in a way we're healthier but we're more paranoid about every little thing that's happening is it allergies or is it covid it's like a, a common question right now i i should knock on wood before i say this because i'm going to cause myself a lot of trouble in saying this but since the pandemic began, I have not had a cold. I have not had, and, and I don't know that I've ever gone this long without at least, you know, now I've had the allergy attacks. That happened, you know, just like I say last week, but, but no cold. So grateful for that and hope that that keeps up. But I think because we're all following these hygiene practices now, um, it's made a big difference in terms of uh, some of that other kinds of spread. Well, I'm happy to hear you are healthy. Maybe that means we can eventually get back in the office together someday. That would be that nice. That would be very exciting. That would be nice. <laughs> and this seems like a good time for us to go off the record. 
This is the part of the podcast where we get a little more personal, have a little fun, and we do that by answering a question we have not prepared for. And the person who has prepared this question is here again, Sarah Smith. Hi, Sarah. Cello. Executive producer of Open Record is here. That is me. Um, so... I never know how to like to start these questions. Hello, guys. I've picked a really great chatty topic today. Um, okay, so here we go. Um, so we have our own podcast, clearly. Um, but let's kind of suspend reality. And you each have your own talk show, a late night talk show. Who do you invite as your very first guest? Well, so first of all, before I talk about the guest, I mean, me having my very own talk show is like that, that that's up there with one of those dreams. That's totally unrealistic. I'll never follow that dream. It'll never happen. But so I love the podcast because it's like returning to my radio roots and I love comedy. I'm a student of comedy. I love stand up comedy. I listen to comedy podcasts. Um, I've never done stand up. I probably never will. Um, I like to think I'm funny, but I feel like that would be the perfect melding. It's like talking and comedy. It would be great. So I think my first guest would have to be probably a stand-up comic. Um, the problem is the one I would want to invite most is no longer with us, and that's George Carlin. If I could have a talk show and have George Carlin on my talk show, uh, that would be the ultimate. That would be the best. I grew up listening to Carlin. Um, long before I ever knew I'd come to Milwaukee, obviously he had his infamous Seven Dirty Words uh, uh, presentation at Summerfest that got him arrested. Um, so, it, But, but I, I guess that doesn't count because he's, well, he's not here. So who else would I have as a guest? Um, man, that's that's a harder one. I, I kind of I kind of think like it's you know the whole question of like who would you invite to dinner you know living or deceased. So I, I'm good with George Carlin. We can pretend. I mean, this is a pretend talk show. So okay, so in my in my fantasy pretend talk show that won't happen, I will have a person who's no longer alive, uh, but who is one of my <laughs> longtime idols on uh, to talk all about comedy, George Carlin. How about you, Jenna? That's really hard. <laughs> well, first of all, I think I'd make a terrible talk show host because I I can't fake laugh at anything like I can't force myself to laugh if I don't think something is funny like I'm not good at faking anything well I think some people are good at putting on airs and acting like they're super jazzed about everything and I'm not that's not a strength of mine so if I had someone on who wasn't interesting me I don't know if I could convince people I was actually interested Um, I've been listening to some podcasts recently with Olympians like the really good gymnasts or like the really good runners and just the lifestyle that it takes to be an Olympian is fascinating to me that the diet and the training and just the whole um, focusing of your world around this singular goal and what it takes to achieve it and chase it. um, I think that's fascinating right now. And it's top of mind for me just because that's what I've been listening to. But I, I think I would love to talk to like a premier Olympian about what their life was like and how physically um, in, in shape they had to get and what it's like to eat, you know, like Michael Phelps or, you know, run 20 miles a day. I just think it's fascinating and really cool. Plus I could never do it. I don't have the discipline. So the people who are able to focus like that really amaze me. What about you, Sarah? You know, I I had this question and then I realized this morning that I was going to also have to answer it. And I was like, I probably should come up with something. Um, I honestly, you, I love how do music. You, you pull this I, off every time. You pull this off. You come up with a question and still sound like <laughs> off the cuff you are just coming up with the answer. And it's, it's, well, it's beautiful. Uh, go on. Um, I'm my own guest. No, I'm just kidding. Um, okay, so I love music. <laughs> I think music is great. It, it taps a lot of different things. You, you know, you can listen to it when you're happy, sad, everything. Um inspiration, whatever. Um, I 
love the Foo Fighters. They are my favorite band of all time. I think Dave Grohl is a genius. I I think he seems like a really cool guy. Um, so my, my short answer is Dave Grohl. I, think- I, I have heard him on podcasts, and, and he's a great guest. Yeah. He would be. Yeah, he's like he just seems smart. Like, you know, he he he's very um humble and he's modest and but he's just he just seems so cool, like he, like a cool dude. And so um I would probably um want to know like breaking down different songs and what it takes to write them. Um there's a podcast called Song Exploder and they break down a song each episode where it talks about what it took to write it, you know, the different drafts that they came up with, their voice memos of the lyrics and how the tune was going to go. Um, and so that's fascinating to me. And so I think that's kind of the things I would want to talk to him about. He's got that great mix of being very down to earth and approachable. And yet also, you know, he's just this musical genius. So you've got someone who's incredibly talented and doesn't need to be humble, but he is. Makes him, uh, I think, very likable. Uh, that, that's, a, that's a great choice for a guest. And you pick someone who's alive, so that's better than me. <laughs> and he has really great hair. Like, I mean, he can pull off the long hair and the ponytail. Anyway. <laughs> I, I mean, as you guys were talking, I was trying to think, okay, but if I was going with someone alive, who would I go with? And that's really hard because, you know, it depends on the purpose of the talk show. Like, if I really wanted to break down... Uh, someone and go to something deeper and maybe a little more serious, I might try to have someone on like a, uh, a Louis C.K. because I'm sticking with the comedy, but obviously he his career went in the toilet after all of the issues with the, you know Me Too and the, the, some of the uh, disgusting stuff he was doing in front of women. And I think I would want to talk a little bit about just try to, you know, as an investigative reporter, I think I would want to break into what was behind that. What, what, um, what brought it on? Why did he think it was okay? How do you come back and survive from something like that? Or do you? Should you? Um, I think that would be sort of maybe a more serious discussion. Um, but, but you know, sticking with that comedy team, I could come up with any number of comedians. I love the idea of people who uh, are, are extremely talented but live these very challenging lives. Until you become one of the people who's famous at the pinnacle and finally makes big money, the life of a stand-up comic is a really difficult one that isn't worth a lot of money and involves tons of travel. You're on the road all the time. Um, so I think, think people that sort of roll the dice and take that risk, um, they're really rolling the dice between that cavern of just maybe a, a really hard life uh, w- without much love and and ultimate fame and, and stardom. So I think the, the road to that is fascinating to me. And, and the ones who actually come out the other end successful um, have great stories to tell. Oh, that's why you'd be good at it, Brian. You're thinking of the headlines you would make after your your big investigative. After exclusive. I break into what's really bad. So now I, I've, I've apparently fancied myself as some sort of armchair therapist, where I'm going to break down why Louis C.K. turned out to be a total creep. I don't know. That's uh, <laughs> that's for a whole. That's a whole other story. Maybe I've maybe I've given myself delusions of grandeur that I could pull that off. But I think it would be interesting. So that's a good way to wrap this one up. If you have a question you'd like to submit for our off the record segment or just a suggest want to suggest a topic we should discuss on the podcast or an issue we should investigate for the broadcast, please send us an email to fox6investigators at fox.com. That's fox6investigators at fox.com. Sarah, thank you once again for joining us for the off the record segment as always. Jenna. Thank you for being here again with Amanda out now for uh, a few months as she will be uh, home caring for 
her new little one. Uh, we're going to have you on the podcast more frequently, so we look forward to talking more about a lot of your work on Contact 6. Well, thank you. I enjoyed being here. And as always, thank you to the people who make this podcast possible, producer Pete, Dave Machuda, Suzanne Barthel, and of course, executive producer Sarah Smith. Please subscribe to Open Record if you have not done that already. We like it when you do that. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. With that, I'm Brian Polson, and for Jenna Sachs, we'll be back again next week. Thank you.